So two guys met up after not seeing each other for a lot of years and one of them was very successful. He went to college and got a big fancy job and all that and was really pretty much doing well for himself. The other guy was sort of lazy and just didn't care that much. He, he really didn't have much ambition in life and so the successful guy was kind of asking the non-ambitious guy hey how's things going and you know what are you doing these days and how's life and how's work and you know all that kind of stuff and this uh this guy who was sort of lazy said you know what you're you're not going to believe this it is crazy beyond my wildest dreams i am super super wealthy and uh the business guy the you know guy went to college says are you kidding me what do you mean uh what happened and he said well this is going to sound kind of crazy but one day i was really down on my luck and I uh, hadn't really, you know, put my act together. Things were just really tough. And, and so I decided to go read the Bible. And, and, and how I approached the Bible was that I just kind of opened the pages and I put my finger down and wherever it, you know, landed, I started to read. Well, the first time I did this, I, I opened the Bible and I put my finger down and I, my finger landed on the word oil. And so I took this as a sign from God to go invest in oil. And so I invested in oil and, and my uh, wells, they struck it rich and, and I just, I made a fortune. And so uh, a little while later, I was, you know, again, kind of down a little bit and not feeling so well about life. And so I went to the Bible again and opened it up and I put my finger down and it landed on the word gold. And so I invested in gold futures and the prices went through the roof. and. And so I'm like, I am as rich as Rockefeller now. Well, the guy who went to college, this guy who'd worked so hard, you know, he was, you know, kind of crazed by all of this. He just couldn't believe this was true. And, and so he went back to his hotel room and uh, opened up the Gideon Bible, you know, that little Bible thing that they got in the drawers. And he opens it up and he, and he does it again. He opens a page and, and he puts his finger down and it landed on the words, chapter 11. Yeah bankruptcy, right? And so that is the way that some of us approach the Bible. That's the way some of us think about God. That's the way some of us think about spiritual life. It's this kind of luck of the draw. It's kind of like open up and put your finger down and, and see what happens, see what God might do or if God will show up for you. Uh, I don't think that's such a good way to live life. It's really not. I think that we have to think a little deeper with a little bit more purpose than that. And so uh, we have been in this study called the Tupperware Gospel. It's been a study through the New Testament book called Colossians. And uh, Colossians is a book that uh, a guy named Paul wrote. He's a pastor and he writes a letter to one of his churches. Uh, the, the Colossian church was like a little campus. It was like uh, he was the pastor, but he wasn't always there. And so he writes to them this uh, letter uh, called the book of Colossians and and we're reading it kind of straight through and our goal was to start at the beginning and kind of move all the way through and and one of the reasons that Paul was writing this book was was so that he could could correct the theology he could correct some of the thinking that was going on in the church because uh, the church started off really really great but they got crazy they just went off track and they started to make a big religion and a small Jesus and Paul said no 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 it's all about a big Jesus and and he wanted to correct their theology he wanted to correct their thinking and so he, he starts to write to them this letter and he says uh, that there needs to be right doctrine before duty. Check this out, doctrine 
before duty. In other words, you have to think right about the things of God before you can act right about the things of God. And so Paul comes along and he starts to correct some of their thinking. And that's where we spent most of our time in the first couple chapters, just raising this standard of a big, big Jesus. And so Paul, this pastor, writes his little church and he says, you got to get some things right in your mind first. He says, doctrine before duty. Doctrine, thinking about Christ right, thinking about Jesus right, will help you live right for Jesus. And so really the first couple chapters, he's just stressing how big Jesus is because they had made a small Jesus and a big religion. They got it all backwards and they, they kept saying that, that religious acts were more important than your actual relationship with God. And Paul says, no way, make sure you have a big Jesus and a small religion. And then he turns the corner in chapter three, and you might remember this, he, he starts to say, but there are some duties that you have to get right. There are some things that when, when you are hidden in Christ, when remember the whole Tupperware gospel was this idea that you're in Christ and Christ is in you and he's inside of us and so that changes the way that we live that changes not only the way we think but the way that we act in this life and so he says you got to get some things right and he spent some time throwing it down he says there's some things you got to take off and there's some things you got to put on and he said so you have to take off these things that are keeping you from God and Paul gets around a very tough issue he says that sexual immorality is something that is going to ruin you he says there's nothing that takes you farther, faster from the heart of God than sexual morality. He says that purity really does matter. It starts with the eyes. It starts with bringing the wrong stuff in. He says you got to get some of this stuff right. You got to take some things out of your life. He, remember he talked about this idea of, of how we even relate to people. He talks about anger and uh, lying to one another and being harsh and all that kind of stuff with one another. He says you got to get rid of all this stuff because it does not represent God well at all. And it's not who God wants you to be. And so uh, he, he wraps his mind around this, uh, this idea to take some things off. And then he says, you got to put some things on. He says, you got to put on the holiness of God. You got to, you got to live and act and, and move and react like Jesus did. Right. And he says, uh, at the end of it, I think it lands on this very important verse. It's, it, it's so important. He says this, he says, so no matter what you do, Pastor Greg talked about this. He says, no matter what you do, do it all for the glory of God. So he's just saying, man, you got to put on the right things. You got to get the right things. And so we're going to go a little bit of, uh, further with this because he begins to say, you have to put things on. And then he gets very specific with some of the most important relationships we have. So we're going to land in the book of Colossians. So if you got a Bible or a smartphone, turn to the book of Colossians, uh, chapter three. We're going to begin in verse 18. Check this out. So here's what it says, starting in verse 18. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your husband as if submitting to the Lord, or as is fitting to the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna talk about this a little bit. We're gonna ask some people what they think about this and how they figure out how to love their wives and love their husbands and submit to one another. Let's go ask real quick. Um, hey, are you married by any chance? No, I am not. no. are these your kids? Yes. Oh, nice. Um, so let, let me ask you a quick question, okay? So there is this verse in the Bible that says, fathers, that would be you, it says, do not exasperate or be harsh with your children, but bring them up wisely, okay? So how do you do that? Like, how do you not be harsh with your children? How do you not exasperate them? 
I don't know. Cause <laughs> <laughs> does, does your dad exasperate you? What? Does Does he like kind of, you know, discourage you or beat you down, or does he lift you up? He lifts me up. Does he really? Yep. Good job, Dad. So what What do you do uh, for your kids to to lift them up to encourage them? I I don't know. I like I um, let them know when they're doing good. Like tell them I. Take them out for ice cream. There you go. Yeah, be there for them, right? Yeah, yeah uh, and, and what if, what if you have to correct them? I mean, do you just go off and yell? What do you do? What do you do? I yell. Are you a yeller? Is he a, is he a yeller? Yeah. I, tell them when, I let them know that I'm not happy with them when, when they do wrong. But that's it. I mean, I, I yell at them, and then it's over in about 10 minutes. Yeah. Uh, have you ever had to go back and apologize for uh, losing control? I have. I've apologized to all my I've, yeah, saying I'm sorry, shouldn't, shouldn't have lost, lost my control. I'm sorry I yelled at you guys, and it's all good then, but it's not good. <laughs> and uh, so you got a pretty good dad here, right? Okay, so you keep that text message evidence, right, against him that he apologized and he was wrong. Yeah. All right, God bless you guys. See ya. Have a good day. Uh, so listen to what it says. So we're just taking a chance here. We're just on the street, okay? So here's what it says. It says. Uh, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And then it says this, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases God. And it says, fathers, do not embitter your children against you or they will become discouraged. Okay, hold on. Hi, guys. Can we talk to you for a second? Yeah. Okay, so there is this uh, crazy verse in the Bible that says children need to obey their parents. Okay, is that hard to do sometimes? Okay, is it hard? Yeah. Okay, so tell me uh, how it would, like, how do you obey your parents? Like, how do you react to that when your mom tells you to do something, even though you may not want to do it? Uh, I do it. <laughs> you just do it, huh? Yeah. Yeah? And do you find that it goes better for you if you do it? Yeah. Uh, just just kind of do it, right? Yeah. Okay, sweet. All right, hey, are you guys married by any chance? Yeah. Okay, have you married a while? Yeah. Okay, you've been married a while? Okay, so. In the same little section in the Bible says, children obey your parents, it also says for wives uh, to submit to your husband and, uh, and for husbands to do something that's even harder. It says, husbands, love your wife and do not be uh, uh, harsh with her, okay? So, uh, so this idea of submission, right? It's the idea of respecting and letting him lead once in a while, that kind of a thing, and making him feel valued. So. If you were to do that, how would you do that? How do you make him feel valued? I sometimes let him think that he's... Oh, <laughs> you make him think that he knows what he's doing. Okay. Uh, has there ever been a time in your young marriage uh, that you really didn't want to go along with him, but you did anyways just because you felt it was best for the relationship? Yes. Yeah. Did it work it's out compromise. okay? It's compromise, right? Yeah. That's a That's big what one. it's all about. Yep, compromise is huge. What about, how do you love your wife? How do you love her actively? I, I do what she tells me to do. Oh, just <laughs> yes, do. dear. Happy wife, happy life. There you go. Line. That's good. Well, good luck to you guys. Thank God you. bless you guys. Thank All right. So that was fun. Let's check this out. Well, let me ask, hey, are you guys married by any chance? Yeah. You are? Yeah. Could I ask you a question? Uh, so we're from a church and uh, we do a lot of film and stuff. It's all fun and everything. Uh, but there's this verse in the Bible that says that, that wives are supposed to submit to the husband and kind of cheer him on in life. And the husband has a harder job. 
you are to love your wife. So I want to ask you a quick question. Uh, how do you cheer on your husband? How do you encourage him? How do you support him? How do you respect him like that? You ever do that? Never. Never? <laughs> After 22 years, never. 22 years? Well, you've done something right if you're together for 22 yeah. years. That's pretty awesome. Um, is this guy a hard guy to follow? He is very hard. Is he a hard guy to follow? I don't know what I do to support you. Um, do, you have, do you know what I do? How does she support you? Jeez, I don't know. When I'm down, you pick me up. There you go. I don't know. In the good times, bad times, I don't know. I don't know, we just make it work. Yeah. A lot and of compromise. A lot of compromise. A lot of compromise. And, and it says in the in the Bible for you to love her. Sure. How does he love you? That's easier for me. That is my rock, my person, my stability. He's everything. When I'm down, he's there. He's there to listen to me, laugh with me, cry with me, and we've done it all together. Yeah. How yeah. cool. Well, God bless you guys, man. Really, that's Thank awesome. You. God bless you guys. So there's a lot to this, right? There's this idea of compromise. There's this idea of meeting each other's needs. And what Paul is dialing into here is this whole idea that we have to figure out how to act right with one another, to do relationships right. You know, a lot of people think that the Bible isn't really practical, that it's not tied into modern life. And that's just simply not true. So Paul spends this section saying there are certain ways you have to act, that there is a duty to following Christ. If you're going to be a Christian, that you are to treat your husbands a certain way. you got to figure out how to respect them, how to submit to them, how to follow their lead, even sometimes when they don't seem to worth following, right? Uh, and it says, husbands, you got to figure out how to love your wives, even though sometimes you don't feel like it. And, and, and so Paul just flat out says it. You got to submit to your husband. Uh, you got to love your wife and says, children, and that's people in this room, a whole bunch of people. You've got to figure out how to obey your parents even when you don't want to. You got to obey them from the heart with, with the right kind of attitude as well. And it says, fathers, and this is tough for me, uh, is, is you, you can't embitter your children. You can't exasperate your children. You can't discourage your children. And, and sometimes it's real easy to be harsh. And so Paul just says, get it right. Act a certain way. You've got to do this for the glory of God. And then he, he talks about an incredibly important relationship. It's the relationship between uh, master and slave, employer and employee, management and workforce. Very interesting. Listen, listen to this. This is incredibly practical stuff. When you hear this, you're, you're gonna, it's going to kind of rub you the wrong way at first. It, it says this in verse 22, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, listen to this, and do it not only when their eyes are on you to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart in reverence for the Lord. Now you think, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why is the Bible telling slaves to, to obey their masters? I mean, slavery has been outlawed for like 100 plus years in our nation. Why would we even, you know, why is that relevant at all? Well, let's dial this in a little bit because uh, I don't think we quite get the relationship Paul's talking about. Uh, sure, absolutely. When Paul wrote this in the time of Rome, uh, there were a conquered class of people. There were slaves. Uh, who were conquered by Rome and were forced into labor, most certainly. But this might surprise you. From ancient history, we learned that that was not the majority. Now listen to this. We learned that one-third of all people who lived in the Roman Empire were called slaves. 
but not in the way that you and I think. The vast majority of slaves were not like under the whip. They were, they were more like indentured servants. Remember this from the early 17, 1800s in America? A whole bunch of people came from Europe to America uh, under a contract to work for somebody for so many years in order to earn their freedom. Uh, their debts had amassed and they, they had no way out of them and so they would often literally sell themselves into slavery or servanthood, right? And, uh, and so they were called indentured servants, and a little bit like the military today. A whole bunch of people are like, I can't make it in life. I, I got debts. And so they literally say, I'm going to work for the government for so many years in order to un, you know, dig out of, of where, where I buried myself. And so this was this idea uh, in, in Rome. And so Paul comes along and he says, he says, you got to make sure this relationship is right. And so really, what's he talking about? He's talking about the relationship between employer. At least I, th I think there's some principles that we can learn from this between employer and employee to those that rule over us. And some of us in our jobs, we think this way. We think that our bosses rule over us. We think it's enslavement or we at least think it's indentured servanthood. You wouldn't do it if you didn't have so many debts. Well, even when you're there, even when you don't like it, the scripture says that there's a certain duty that is required of you, that you gotta act a certain way, that you have to figure out how to honor Christ where you work. So sometimes we're called to step up our game even when we don't want to. We're called to honor the people who are in charge of us. Now, you remember that uh, even in the scriptures, uh, Joseph and Daniel, they were both slaves, and yet they rose to great positions of prominence because they honored God with the way that they treated their bosses. And so I want to blow through some principles. I just want to throw some principles that I, I see in this little passage of scripture. It, it says that we are to obey our masters in everything. And the first principle is this idea of the integrity principle. And, and so what's integrity? Integrity is this idea of who you are in the dark, who you are when no one is looking, who you are when you think you can get away with something. That's your integrity. It's, it's who you are in the deepest part of your soul. In a lot of us, when the boss is looking, we go, oh, I, I got my game on, right? I'm performing my best. Uh, when the boss is on, on us, we know how to step it up. But what's interesting is that God calls us to do it in everything, even when no one is looking. I used to have this guy who worked for me uh, for a long time. And man, when we were working and I was there, he would be sweating like crazy and just going at it. We were builders and you know he'd be pounding it down. And, uh, but the second I left, it was so funny. I caught him several times. The second I leave, he gets on his phone. And he's like, what up, baby doll? What up, sugar? He's calling his girl. I mean, it's like, I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, I'm just taking a little break. It's like, yeah, you're taking a break every time I turn around, every time I'm not there with my eyes on you. You see, as followers of Christ, if that's what you are, uh, you're called to operate at a different level. You're called to perform at a different level, to have integrity all the way through. Uh, a couple years ago, I read this interesting study uh, where some sociologists were, were called in to figure out where the corporate structure was wrong with this lumber company. And they were losing money every quarter and they were just struggling to survive. And so they hired some consultants, these sociologists, to come in and try to help figure out uh, why the company couldn't make a profit. And what was interesting was that uh, they ended up calling this little study or this little report that they did for this company, they called it Feeding the Hog feeding the hog. And so 
what happened was is once they started to interview a whole bunch of the employees, um, they started to, to ask questions about why they thought the company was unprofitable. And one of the employees finally confessed up. They said, well, we feed the hog. And these guys are going, well, I don't, I don't understand what you mean, feed the hog. You got hogs here? He goes, no, no, no. They're a lumber company. And, and the guy says, when we're unhappy with management, when we're unhappy with the bosses, we feed the hog. And the hog was this big machine that would take seconds, like the lumber that wasn't perfect, and it would chip it up into chipboard, right? And they would sell it to a different lower cost product. And so they would take premium wood and throw it into the chipper and they would feed the hog as a way of showing their disapproval to the bosses. Of course, the bosses never knew it. Uh, but the integrity principle says something different, that, that this is a way to honor God. It, it really is. Um, listen, as Christians, we raise to a different level. We rise to a different level. We, we operate at a different level. We don't use uh, company supplies for our, our own good. We don't use company time for our own good. Uh, we perform for those that pay us. We perform for those who have employed us. We give them our best because we are men and women of integrity. And, and here's the second principle. It, it's called the, uh, the, the, the heart principle or the heart work principle. It's this idea that we work as unto God. Here's what it says in the scripture. It says, it says, slaves, obey your, your masters and everything and, and do it uh, when, when their eyes are on you and when they're not, not just to win favor. But it says this, but with sincerity of heart, out of reverence for God, for the Lord. We, we operate from our heart. When we, when we go to work, uh, we're really working for God. Do you, do you realize this? There is a story about the famed architect, Sir Christopher Wren, and his greatest build ever was the St. Paul's Cathedral in London, England. And there's a really interesting little story about a journalist who wrote a story about the workers building this great, great cathedral. And the uh, journalist went around asking these you know, laborers, these builders, uh, what they were doing and how they were doing it and all that. And it was interesting, almost every single answer was the same. One guy was asked, you know, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm laying bricks uh, 10 hours a day for three shillings a day. Another guy said, I'm treading out sod for next to nothing. Another guy says, I'm mixing cement for, for uh, a pauper's type of a wage. And every single answer was the same, except for one old guy. Uh, he, this journalist asked this old man, so what are you doing here? And this old guy just lit up, he says, and uh, he, he says, I am helping Sir Christopher Wren build London's greatest cathedral to the glory of God. Man, when I heard that, I thought, how true is that? that our work ought to speak of Jesus. It ought to tell the story of Jesus. And it doesn't matter if you're a postal worker or a construction worker, if you're a school teacher or an engineer, you're doing something for the glory of God. What you do and how you do it ought to reflect the greatness of God to the glory of God. Uh, this is called the heart principle. I heard this little story about a football coach who was trying to inspire his guys to do the best and he was watching his team, his high school football team, and uh, he, he was realizing that they don't really know what they're doing and they're running around like chickens with their head cut off, right? And uh, 
So he, he ends up taking one of the young guys who's just running all over the field, just chasing the ball everywhere. He's like, don't do that, stop. And, and he ends up grabbing this kid by like the helmet and he, and he pulls him in close. He says, now you listen to me and you listen to me good. He, and, he, and he takes like this chalk out or this marker and he marks like this 10 foot box all the way around the kid. And he says to the kid, he says, this is your square. This is where you belong. He says, if anybody comes into this square, you knock them on their butt but if anybody's outside of this square it's somebody else's job and I thought how great is that you know wherever God has put you no matter what walk of life no matter where you end up it's your square you're supposed to do it for the glory of God that's what it teaches us that's what we we're supposed to be doing our work ought to reflect the glory of God Wow, would you look at that. I have forgotten how nice this town is. This is great. Uh, there is a third principle that governs the, the work relationships that we have. And we're gonna call this one the who's the boss principle. Uh, do you remember that show? I think it was from the 80s. Uh, wasn't it Tony Danza's character? He was like some rough New York kind of a guy. And yeah, he had a daughter and he didn't want her raised in the city. And so he looked for a different job and he ends up getting a job as a nanny uh, from this rich woman, I think her name was Angela or something like that. And, and in the show, it talked. To, uh, all, it would set up like these situations where they would argue about how they were going to do what, and they would get in these big fights. And inevitably, the woman Angela, she would ask, "Who's the boss? Who's the boss? Who is paying who here?" And Tony would like go, "I'm the boss," but he wasn't the boss. She was paying the check. She was the boss, right? Well, there's this principle. Uh, that we could call who uh, call it who's the boss and uh, it reads like this here's what it says in the scripture it says uh, whatever you do work with all of your heart that's the heart principle that we just talked about and then it says this as working for the Lord not for men uh, this idea as Christians if we're gonna follow Christ we don't work just for ourselves we don't just work for a paycheck we work to honor God and so this means that when we are serving a customer that walks in, we're going to serve them differently because we're going to serve them like God serves them. Uh, we're going to love them like God loves them. When we make a product at Ford, we're not just pushing the thing down the line. We're going to do it with excellence and quality because, because it honors God and it brings glory to God, right? And so if you're a teacher, you're gonna love your students like God loves your students. We're gonna do it because he is our boss. We're not working just for a paycheck. We're working because God is our boss. We don't work for men. Sure, we, we have earthly bosses. Sure, there are people who you know, can tell us what to do, but the, but the heart behind it is that we're working because we're trying to reflect God to the world around us. And that really leads me to the next principle. It's uh, the compensation principle. Uh, this idea of earning a check, that's important. It's important that we earn is what we can earn and it's, it's, it's good that you try to improve yourself. I was just talking to somebody about our capitalistic society that we live in. It's crazy to me that um, th that there are a lot of people who don't embrace it. It's weird because capitalism, uh, 
is this idea that if you work hard, if, you, if you're honest and treat people fairly, people are gonna notice that and you're gonna move up the scale that you're gonna get a better job. If, you know, if you're working for me and I think you're doing a great job, I'm gonna pay you more. If you're, if you're working for somebody else and I think that you're really awesome, I'm gonna try to hire you away from that guy and give you a better job. Uh, but it's the same way in God's economy. Now let me be clear about this, that there is an eternal economy that we work in. There is an eternal compensation that we work for. Listen, we don't, we don't work to earn our salvation. We talk about that all the time, that, that God is a God of grace. We are saved by grace. But, but don't be deceived. We, we get what we deserve. So many times in life, we reap what we sow. How we work is gonna be reflected ultimately in our eternal compensation. Uh, I heard this line one time, and it goes something like this, that, that there are a whole bunch of people who built an empire here on earth by crawling on the backs of other people, by crawling over the backs of other people, but they're really digging their way to an eternal poverty. And then there are those that serve humbly, and, and, and you feel like you're, you're descending, but the scripture says you're descending into greatness. When you, when you go low and you serve with the heart of God, it says that God's going to reward you. He's going to compensate you, uh, both in this life and in the life to come. Here's how it says it. Listen to this principle right out of this passage. It says, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ that you are serving. Did you hear that? It is the Lord God that you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be, re, be repaid for his wrong. Uh, and there is no favoritism in that. So we work as unto God and we're compensated both now and in eternity by God himself. So God is the great compensator. God is the one who makes all things equal. As a matter of fact, there is this verse out of Revelation. I just want to read it for you. It's amazing. It says, you say, I am rich. You, know, you get this attitude that I've earned this. I've deserved this. He says, I, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But listen to what Jesus says. Jesus himself says this. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You see, in our economy, you can earn a whole bunch. But with God's compensation, it depends on our heart. It depends how we do what we do. It's so important that we get this right. So there's one more principle at work before we get out of here. And, and I, I don't know how else to say this. I just labeled it this. It is the do not be a jerk principle. Don't be a jerk. Um, there is this ending passage from this this little chapter Paul writes and he's talking directly to those that are in charge. He talks to the masters. He talks to the employers. He talks to, to people like me who have hired people and the way I treat people is so important. Listen to what he says. He says, he says, masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Translation, bosses, don't be a jerk, right? You know that you're, you might be in charge right here, right now, but you have a boss in heaven. You have a master in heaven that you're going to be accountable to one day. You got to make sure you get this right, that you got to treat people well. So maybe you're here and God has put you in charge of other people. Maybe you're a manager where you work. Maybe you're an executive. Maybe you're an entrepreneur and you've started your own business. Um, God says you have an obligation to treat people fairly. To, to do right by them. You know, in my younger years, I, I was a builder and had a bunch of people working for me. And um, man, looking back, I treated so many people poorly. Jess was harsh and Jess was rude. And, and I didn't live this out. And I regret it. 
So if you're in a position of authority, be wise because you're accountable to God, both in this life and in the life to come. Let me end with one story about this idea of work. Um, you know, World War II, there's some great stories that come out of World War II and uh, Winston Churchill was trying to rally the people of England. Um, you know, the Nazis had, you know, been bombing London night after night after night for weeks and the people were discouraged. And uh, Winston, you know, gets on the radio and he starts to make one of these epic level speeches. And he says this, he says, uh, friends of England, he says, he says, I want you to vision I want you to think about the day this war ends. He says there's gonna be a great parade in the streets of London. And he says the first in that parade will be our sailors who kept the shipping lanes open. And we will stand and we will cheer them on. And then he says second in that great parade will be the, the men and women of the Air Force, that of the Royal Air Force that beat the Luftwaffe, the German Air Force out of the skies. And then he says, and then the next in that parade will be the long line of foot soldiers who marched across Europe to beat back the Nazis, right? And so he's talking about all of these epic, you know, heroic acts. And then he says something I thought was very profound. He says, but last in this parade to honor the heroes would be a long line of, of thousands and thousands of the coal workers, the coal miners. And he says, and someone will yell from the crowd, where were you when, when our soldiers were off in Europe? Where were you when our, when our men were being blown out of the skies? And then he says this really epic line. He says, from thousands of voices, they will say, we were in the tunnels with our face to the coal, providing energy for England's victory. How true is that? There's a whole bunch of us. There are a whole bunch of us who are faceless, who are really nameless, and we just have ordinary jobs, and we just go about our business. But there are no ordinary jobs. There are no ordinary people. There are people who can do extraordinary things for God, and God has called us to do extraordinary things. He wants us to work as working to Him. This is our duty. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we're going to get a single and we're going to get cookie dough. Okay. So that's it. Just like a cone. Okay. How do you like your job? I like it. You like it? What do you, what do, you do here? Like Scoop ice cream, meet new people every single day. Nice. So it's more than just scooping ice cream. It's yep. meeting the folk. Meeting the community. I like that. I like that. So you got to hook this up huge. Okay, just huge, right? Okay. We want a single $5 worth of ice cream right there. Okay. All right, let's do it. It's going to be sweet. Sweet. Sweet talker into an extra big helping. If you keep your, uh, you know, your positive attitude, you'll end up owning the place. I, I promise you. It's going to be amazing. Okay. Anything else? Nope, that's it. You can keep the change. Okay, thank you. Thank you thank so you. much. This is glorious. Wait, I can't eat this. I'm on a diet. I've lost nine pounds in the last 14 days. I am the president of the soon-to-be skinny club. James, you're going to have to eat this for me. I'm sorry. You're just going to have to do it. Guess I'll do it for Jesus. <laughs> yeah, for Jesus. All right, that's a wrap, boys. <laughs> that's a good? Yeah. Is it? Yeah, you're making me jealous right now. Oh, my goodness.